My name is Dehati Lewis. I am a church planner here in the city of Atlanta. Uh, I am also the founder president of the Rebuild Initiative. And today we're going to be talking about how do we raise up leaders or raise up church planters. And we're going to talk about specifically how we've done it or how we do it in uh, Blueprint Church in Atlanta and what we're kind of tag teaming and trying to multiply that in across the country through the Rebuild Initiative. So I'm excited about the time. I'm, we're going to be going through it pretty quickly so that we can have time to dialogue and have interaction um, and questions at the end. So let me pray, and then we'll ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have, Lord, to, to be joint heirs and co-laborers with Christ. Father, we are not worthy of such a task. But, Lord, you call us, and we recognize that your grace is sufficient. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that we would walk with confidence and walk with boldness, not because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness of your Son, who we put all of our confidence in. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would grant us favor, grant us mercy, grant us great dialogue and interaction for your namesake. Father, we just want to be conduits of your grace in the various communities and contexts across the country. We thank you. We praise you. We give you honor. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. We're going to move, like I said, pretty quickly. Um, again, we're part of the Rebuild Initiative. The Rebuild Initiative is a, an urban church planting network and leadership development network that we started a couple of years ago. It really was birthed out of a group of people. We had about 40 people, 40 individuals from um, the, of Texas to come out here to plant the Atlanta, a church plant in Atlanta about three years ago. And really our heart, the number one reason why we did that was to be able to be not just the church plant, but a church that plants other churches. You know, in our heart, what behind that is really about discipleship. And so really what we're going to be talking about today is about how do we make disciples in the local church? Um, and then really that's our heart and what we're going to be talking about and doing and how we do it. Um, at Blueprint Church, and I would see to multiply that through the Rebuild Initiative. Um, so we're, we're here talking about raising up church planters in the local church. This is my family, married to Angie. We've been married for 11 years. We have six kids. We adopted the last two. God has really blessed us in that. And so that's my family, just to give you a little context. And, and I want to start off with, I'm going to show you a little video to kind of set up the time. Show a video of, of the rebuild from the Rebuild Initiative. All right, if you can hear that, I hope that gave you a little snippet of what, um, what we're doing. Basically, we started um, a church planning network called the Rebuild Initiative because we saw the desperate need in the 21st century. We're going to have an, an urban context, you know, and people are fleeing back and moving back to the city. And, and we just really wanted to embrace that. We wanted to embrace going back to the city and how figuring out how can the local church raise up and make disciples in that context. And so our heart is about missions. Our heart is about evangelism, making disciples of all nations. And um, the, let me just kind of set it up this way. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 9, 35, and we're going to look through 38. Matthew chapter 9, 35, very famous text that, we, that we're going to look at. But I'm currently a student at I'm a D-man student at Southeastern, and, you know, I get a chance to do a lot of research. And sometimes in your research, you, you kind of venture off a little bit and do some other, some funny type of research. And 
there's a thing called a plea for fishing, a plea for fishing that I want to just kind of set it up with. And it says this, it says, and this is a kind of funny, but it's also real. Now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. Now there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish and the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, year after year, these who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish. The abundance of fish and how they might go about fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means. Defended fishing as an occupation and declared that fishing is always to be the primary task of fishermen. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. One thing they didn't do, however, they didn't fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and sent to fish. But like fishermen back home, they never fished. Like the fishermen back home, They engaged in all kinds of other occupations. They built power plants to pump water for fish and tractors to plow new waterways. Others felt their job was to relate to the fish in a good way so the fish would know that the difference between good and bad fishermen. Others felt that simply letting the fish know they were nice land-loving neighbors and how loving and kind they were was enough. And it goes on and says this. It says, after one stirring meeting on the necessity of fishing, one young fellow left the meeting and went fishing. The next day, he reported that he had caught two outstanding fish. He was honored for his excellent catch and scheduled to visit all the big meetings possible to tell how he did it. So he quit his fishing in order to have time to tell about the experience to the other fishermen. He was He was also placed on the fisherman's general board as a person having considerable experience. Now, it's true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen's clubs and the fact that they they claimed to be fishermen yet never fished. They wondered about those who felt it was of little use to attend the weekly meeting to talk about fishing. After all, were they not following the master who said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't catch fish were really not fishermen, no matter how much they claimed to be. Yet it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if year after year he never catches fish? If one of the following, if is one following, if he isn't fishing. You know, as I read that, it's it's kind of funny, but it's also kind of convicting. You know, we did some um, stats and they say approximately um, 95% of evangelical Christians never intend to share their faith. You know, just never intend to share their faith. And, you know, and it just really grieves me because the, the Lord in this time, he called us, he says, go and make disciples. You know, many times when we see the ministry of Paul, Paul was called to go and plant the gospel. 
And really what we see in, in, in what we talk about is as he planted the gospel and people came to know the Lord, the next thing that he would do is, okay, there's people who all these people will come to know the Lord. Now we need to appoint elders and deacons and leaders to bring about, to grow them up into maturity. And so that the, the local church was there to bring about discipleship and disciple making. And that's how we saw healthy churches planted. That they, they went with that mentality of making disciples of all nations. They went with the mentality of as the Lord would bless with the gospel being planted in the context that they would then raise them up and raise up leaders. You see, a lot of times when we talk about how do we raise up church planters, the, the reality is, is that we always are looking for the, the stud or the person outside of our congregations. And we're never really creating a farm system within. And how do we raise up church planters and leaders from within our own ranks to send out and to go? You see, and one of the things that challenged me because, you know, as I was looking at the different organizations and I, and I talked to the different, um, different networks and things, I saw that a lot of different organizations, especially the new organizations, are built off the backs of, like, disgruntled young Southern Baptist kids or students that they're now going apart. They're like, I want to be a part of something new and something relevant. You know, and, I, and I've seen that a lot of times. Oh, I wanted to see the gospel centrality. Or, or just a lot of different things or frustrations that, that they're built off those backs. But as an urban church planner, one of the things that I, I've, been, I've been wrestling with and I had to wrestle with was I was around a group of people who constantly said, either I'm around a group of people who understand my context, but they don't get my, co- they don't get my commitment to theology, or I'm around the people who get my theology, but they don't understand my context. And, you know, and so and as, a, as, a, as an African-American male uh, who just was simply, who wasn't raised in the church, my dad played pro football. So at the end of, you know, when I came to know the Lord, I had no clue. I got a scholarship to the University of North Texas. And at, the, at North Texas, I met a guy. He introduced me to a group of guys that were, that were on fire for the Lord. And they would talk about stories like David and Goliath, Samson and Delilah. And I was like, who are these? I, I, I had no clue. No framework. So every time I would go, I would go back and I would just read and I had to catch up. And I was a football player, so I was like in spiritual two-a-days in my mind. You know, I had to like, I had morning. I was at a study. I was at the BSM, Campus Crusade, FCA. Every single night I was at a different study because I felt like I needed to catch up. But what ended up taking place was I started learning about terms that even my friends who loved the Lord weren't talking about. They started talking about evangelism and discipleship. And I was just like, God is actually not just only calling us to be reactive, but he's calling us to be proactive. You see, because many times as, 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 a, as a people, as a person in college, they were like, man, being a Christian is don't go to the club, don't drink, don't join a fraternity or sorority, don't have sex outside of marriage. And it was always don't, 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 don't. And for the first time, I was like, God is actually calling us to do something. And so I went in head first and started wrestling with those things and, and creating how do we create that. And I said, just like any young believer, I started inviting my friends to these, to these studies, but they would come once and then they would never, ever come again. And I was just like, man, what's the, why? You know, and they were always like, man, I can't, I'm not feeling the acoustic guitar, you know, I'm used to a little bit, you know, there was always some cultural jump that they wanted. So it was like, man, how do we create a system? How do we create something that we can invite our friends to and then raise up? Because there's a generation of churches. If I really want to grow in the gospel, it's like either I have to choose one or the other. I got to either choose a church that's about the gospel and discipleship. But then I'm always the one that I'm kind of like a third culture kid. No one really gets. 
or I'm around a group of people that get my context and my culture, but they don't get the commitment for theology and missions. And I was just like, and here I am. And then what I've learned was our story is not a unique story, what, what we did, but our story is a very common story. And so and that was the impetus that, that charged 40 of us to leave, Atlanta, leave Texas and to come and plant a church, Blueprint Church, so that we can be a church that plants other churches. So that we can be a place that we can create and manifest discipleship, um, disciple making in the context. You see, the reality of what I recognize is that the problem wasn't the context. The problem was us. You and I who claim to be Christian and laboring for the gospel but weren't actually laboring. This passage in, um, in Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew says it like this. Jesus is basically talking in 35 to 38. He says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. It goes on. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And you see, that verse right there really stood out to me because as Jesus was going around healing, healing the sick, doing his ministry, that he, for the first time, he turns to his disciples and he says, he said that the, the scripture says that he was literally sick to his stomach. He was greed. He had compassion. What, why? Because they were like sheep without shepherds. You see, he was planting, the gospel was being planted, the kingdom of God was being manifested and proclaimed, but the reality was that there were shepherds there to raise them up and to bring them up to maturity. And so he turns to his disciples, he says, listen, the issue is not the context, the issue is not the world. We can sit as Christians and talk about our context, we can talk about the world and say, man, the problem is always there. But when Jesus calls and he tells his disciples, he says, I want you to pray, and I want you to pray for more laborers. You see, I've come to the, t- the, to the point in my Christian life that I'm no longer impressed with just converts, you know, getting numbers. And, you know, and I know we, we're excited, we're Baptists, and we baptize and all that, but, you know, the idea of we just make baptisms, and, you know, I'm just no longer excited with that only. You know, because what I see in the scriptures, and we said we want to be, and the reason why we started Rebuild, the reason why we started Blueprint is that we want to be an answer to that prayer of laborers. You know, that how do we produce kingdom builders, laborers specifically for us, how do we produce that in the urban context? You see, many times people always think, you know, God has given us grace. We are, we're serving over 400 people at our church in the first couple of years that we have um, at Blueprint. And, and God has blessed us tremendously. And people always ask, it's like, how did you get so many people so quick? How, what, what is it? What's the secret? And really what we always said is like, listen, the, see, the problem is, is you think that we planted the church in two, two years ago. But in reality, we planted this church 10 years ago. You see, out of the 40 people that came here, over 30 of those people lived in my house and were personally discipled by me and by our, our context. You see, and it was a slow growth that we did, and we created a culture and a context, and we made discipleship as, as a, a staple in our church. And so now God has positioned us to the point where we are about to be able to plant more churches on a consistent basis that, are gonna, that we believe in hopefully are going to be healthy 
because not because we're not just trying. We're, we're created a farm system. We've created something within our churches. Like, how do we make disciples? How do we make a, build a discipleship culture holistically and create the laborers? You see, the reality is this. That word, when Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, that word send out is only mentioned twice in the New Testament. That word send out comes from the Greek word ekbalo. Ekbalo. It's only mentioned twice. The literal meaning or the literal term, that word ekbalo means pray to the Lord of the harvest that God would not just simply send out, it's not a strong enough word, that, it, that God would force them out. You see, one of the things that we said, and I talked about it earlier, that I know me and I know, you know, as Americans, we are addicted to comfort. We're addicted, and it seems like a lot of times when we look at God's will, it's always the path of least resistance. What's easier? Always is, like when God has called us, we're always called to something easier and better. You know, but like I shared earlier at the, on, on stage, I was like, when I went and I was grieved, and I was just like, Lord, when I see these kids, 80%, not having a father, not have, and I was like, Lord, why, why are you not calling anybody back to the city? And I was grieved to the core of it, of my heart. And, and that was that time that I see, I felt the Lord really forcing us out. He began to close doors and really kicking us out. You see the reality, the difference between sending out and forcing out and what Jesus is calling them to pray is he's saying, listen, don't allow it to be dependent upon us, but our prayers need to be Lord, bring it about that we have no other choice, but to be laborers for the gospel. You know, if you know how eagles teach babies how to fly, there comes a time in their life where they just simply, they grab the baby eagle and then they just start flying and the eagle flies to the highest of heights. And at that point, it just, it drops. And at that time, the baby eagle has two choices, fly or die. And so the force and the power of what Jesus is saying is that our prayers need to be that, that God begins to put our churches in position in ways that we are in areas that it's either fly or die. That there's no middle ground because the reality is, is if it's up to us, we're not going to do it. You see, because I was, when I was in Denton, it was real easy for me just to be like, man, you know, because I was the football chaplain at the University of North Texas. I was, you know, the church that I planted a church in Denton, the church that we planted in Denton, no matter, they paid my full-time salary. They gave us a building. They took all the care of all of my administration. They did all of the stuff. And, you know, that's the church planner's dream, right? I was totally comfortable in Denton. I was able to coach football on the side, and I'm, you know, and I was able to do it all. And then when somebody challenged me, I was just like, yeah, yeah, I'll pray about it. They challenged me to, to go into an, an, an urban center. And I was like, I'll pray about it. But you see, you know how you, you talk about, you, you tell somebody you're going to pray about it just because you don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't know how, if you guys, I do that. Like, okay, I'll pray about it. And we just kind of, let's move on to the next subject. But it was in the midst of prayer, God changed the question in my heart from why am I staying or from why should I leave Denton to why am I staying in Denton? And I just realized that I'm staying because it's easy. I'm staying because it's comfortable. And at that point, God began just to force us out. And we came here with that, with the burden and the reality of how can we be not just a church, but plant a church that's planting other churches. How can we do that? And so I'm just going to move really quickly because I want to get to exactly what we're doing here 
in the in the city in order to do it again i'm sorry we're gonna move so basically at blueprint church what we basically we have our well you talk about the heart of the heart of blueprint what we're about because we are about making disciples with the ultimate goal of seeing more churches planted so there's a, a phrase a chinese proverb that says this they says um every member Every believer is a church planter and every church a church planting church. And so really what we're saying is, is that God in the, in the gospel has given every believer, every person in your church the ability, if they were by his grace, to allow the gospel to go forth, people come to know the Lord, that there would be actually a possible or the potential of a church plant, a small gathering of believers to be planted. And then that if we have a, a mindset of how do we multiply in doing that, so the reality is what we've talked about is that at the core of it is, is that the gospel changes people and people change the world. And so we, that's our underlying philosophy. If you come to our church, you will hear this over and over again that the gospel changes people. You see, the reality is what we say all the time is that many of us have not really been impacted by the gospel. The gospel really hasn't changed us, so we're not able to really do any type of changing. First Corinthians chapter 9, 9, 19 through 23 says, Paul says, I become all things to all men in order that I might save some. And then he goes through the difference. But then what's interesting is that in 23 he says, in order that I might share in its blessing. That I might share in its blessings. And so we're, what we're saying is, is that in order for us to share in its blessing, it has to first be a blessing to us. It has to first impact us. And so we're saying as a church, it's our responsibility for the gospel to change us and then ultimately change and people change the world. So our mission, our mission is to unleash healthy people to do ministry where life exists. Right. Now, and I want you guys to see this because everything that we do is about ultimately seeing more healthy churches planted, seeing the gospel planted. And so we've created a structure and a framework that is about how do we make both the local congregation, the local church, and also the, um, the, the planters come to a point where they can be launched out with the gospel. So when we say that unleashing healthy people to do ministry where life exists, we don't have a lot of systems. We don't have a lot of programs. Because when I came to the city of Atlanta, I've realized that Atlanta is in the top 10 in almost every category. The top 10 in human sex trafficking, top 10 in homosexuality, top 10 in a lot of things. And we could, could take a lot of different strategies. We can create a ministry for each one. Or we can focus our ministry on equipping the saints and allow their burdens and their passions to engage the context. And so when we said, and we said that we took Ephesians 4 literally, that our job is to equip the saints for the ministry. And we create that and we talk about that. How do we send people to do ministry where life exists? How do we create relevant ministry in their context? Because, you know, and I've seen it over and over again, and I've done it before, that I'll get up on Sunday and I'll try to rally a group of people behind my passions and my burdens, and at best, I might get four hours a week. And then, you know, but and the whole time, I'm taking them from 40 to 60 hours where they're spending their job. I'm taking them from their neighborhoods, their families. And so what we do at Blueprint, we tell our people, our pastors and our leaders, you go visit them on their jobs. Look at their context. How do we equip them so they can be more equipped effective on there and so we're making that disciples and we're saying our your ministry is there and so when you come home you're free to serve your family you're free to to connect and this all be will be explained better when i show you kind of our 
how we shape our ministry. And so when we talk about healthy Christianity or a healthy person, because that's the next logical thing is what's healthy? Basically, it's a three-legged stool that we talk about. We say that people who are growing in their understanding of the gospel in the context of family while being on mission. So we say people understand the gospel in the context of family while being on mission. We see this over and over again, and we break that down into gospel. And what we say is, what do we mean by the understanding of the gospel? It's twofold, that we base it off of Ezra 7 and 10, where it was basically a church planting um, thing that took place, that Ezra, we know he went back to rebuild the temple. And there was a group of people that came together to do that. And so it says Ezra devoted himself, devoted his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules to Israel. And so we've divided it up into six key principles and as, as we talk about raising up. And again, we're saying that the gospel changes people, people change the world. Therefore, our mission is to unleash healthy people to do ministry where life exists. The way we define health are by these six aims. The first one is constantly cultivating a heart that pursues God above all else. So we, we talked about, we know about idolatry and, and everything. So I'm going to move through it. The second one is study. Constantly cultivating a heart. Um, constantly, oh, that's messed up. Basically, what we're saying with the study is the ability to study God's intended meaning in his word. How do we teach people to be self-feeders? So when we say all the time, is our goal is this. We want to be able you to come into our ministry. And that in the years that you're in, whatever God gives you that ability, graces you to do, in that time, we, our goal is that we can parachute you to any remote island. You know, and if you were the only believer and all you had was a Bible in the midst of all non-believers, that you would be able to spark a movement for Jesus. You see, and that's what. So now we take that and we begin to reverse engineer. What do we need to do? What is the purpose? Like there's no podcast. There's no YouTube. There's no Internet. All they have is their scripture. And so we say, what do they need in order to be effective to equip? Because the reality is that's many of our jobs. We're in the midst of just non-believers, and what do we do? We just kind of wait to get back to church. And we're not really equipping people for mission in what we're doing. So we talk about study, application, giving one's full attention to practicing God's plan. Hebrews 5 and 11 said spiritual maturity is not based upon how much you know, but it's how much you apply. And so togetherness, partnering in authentic relationships to fulfill God's purposes. I mean, the very essence of what Baptists, we, we, we say we can do more together than we can apart. Then we move on to initiative, proactively meeting the needs of others. Finally, communication, the ability to profess the hope of the gospel in an understandable way. So one of the things that we talk about, and I, I want to share with you briefly kind of how we see that fleshed out and how ultimately the goal that we have of creating a farm system in our local church that we're raising up church planters in the urban context and how do we raise up missionaries and like I said basically it's gospel family and mission so again like we talked about when we're talking about how do we raise up church planters in the urban context how do we raise up church planters for the purpose of ultimately launching so the ultimate goal is that we want to see more healthy communities established. And how do we create this incubator or this farm system? And, and so when we come in any, every one of our membership classes, we say this is what we have. This is all we have. And we say our goal is to grow you in the gospel in the context of family while being on mission. 
And so at the very core of it that we say life on life. That that's something that we talk about when we talk about making disciples, but it's something that we program or something that we think about very intentionally is this life on life component. My wife and I have been married for about 11 years. Out of the 11 years that my wife and I have been married, nine of those 11 years, we've had someone living in our home. And the reason why we did it, because I couldn't get over the, the verse, when the scriptures, when it was saying that when Jesus was talking about making his disciples, it was the reality, he says, that he was with them. And I was just like, there's, there has to be more than just this once a, once a week Starbucks where I, I, you know, prepare and I go over a Bible study with you and then I leave. And then our time where I just ask you, how's your life? And then... We leave. I was just like, there was actually life on life that was taking place. And so we, we've created this principle. In, and let me tell you this. We have never once from the pulpit said, you know, in order to do, you know, to make disciples, you've got to have people live with you. But the culture in our church over the nine years, the culture that we're in the church now, I would say a good 70% of our couples have someone living in their homes. 70% of our couples, because this we've recognized and we talk about, we have to think intersection, not addition. See, the reality is, is that I'll get to you. The reality is, is that a lot of times we are adding on to people's plate and we don't teach people how to intersect their lives. And so we say a term that we borrow basically says we want um, basically the idea of ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. How do we create gospel intentionality in what you're currently doing, where life is. And so that's really the heart behind this first step of life on life that we have and that has cultivated in our church. When I first did it, everybody was like, man, that's kind of weird. Like you and your wife and, but the Lord has really blessed this. And I, like I said, out of the 40 people that came, 35 of them lived in my home at one time. There's a Christian hip-hop artist named Lecrae. He lived in my home at one time. You know, and, we, and our whole thing was, how do we make disciples? Tadashi lived in my home at one time. We were like, how do we create and bring the gospel in the context? Because especially if we're talking about the urban context, we have to get beyond just simply passing on information. Because every time, and I'll talk about it a little later. Actually, I'll, I'll save it. Go ahead, give me. Well, like I said, yeah, we're very intentional. We're intentional in doing it. And so now all of our pastors have someone living with them. All of our pastors do. You know, people are going to reproduce what you are, who you are. There's one thing to say and talk about it, but what they see you doing, we, we talk about it. Discipleship is caught, not taught. Well, a lot of times it's going to get, it's, yeah, the way, no, 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 that's a good question. One, I mean, most of the times there are singles and college students that are, that are living in, in our home, and it actually gives us more freedom. We got, we got date night anytime we want to. Yeah. I mean, I mean, in our house, the way we, the way we have, we intentionally buy houses in terms of creating. We have six kids, so sex life has already got to be very strategic anyway. You know what I'm saying? So that's, 
with, with six kids, you got to be strategic anyway when it comes to that. But we do. We create boundaries. We sit. And, and believe me, I, especially in our day, we have to deal with pedophiles and thinking through all those things for our kids. But again, but we say, what is our life worth throwing our, way, throwing our lives for? And we create boundaries. We talk to our kids. We're over. We talk to our kids. We talk to people moving in. We talk. We have the boundaries talk all the time in creating that. Um, but what it does, it allows us to bring people and they get to see it, see our lives in that. So that's the first step is life on life. The second piece, and again, this is what we as a church, we intentionally are thinking through these things. The second thing is what we is our missional communities, our missional communities and our missional communities is 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 basically we people who are growing in the gospel in the context of family while being on mission. And so when we talk about our missional communities, the definition of our missional community is a family that's committed to serve a particular neighborhood or network of relationships in order to make disciples. And so what we're doing, we cluster them up in groups. This was so important to us. We launched with our community, missional communities. We launched with discipleship because we wanted to make sure, especially when we were talking about our people in, in our context, they were just used to a, just only a Wednesday night study. You know, Wednesday night Bible study, but how do we live life together in creating? And so when we talk about missional communities, let me tell you what I'm not saying. We're not saying, when someone asks me, when does your missional community meet? Well, we say, well, we meet all the time. Because when we invite people to our missional community, we're inviting them to a family. We're not inviting them to a time and space. And that's real key when when we talk about that, because if I were to say, hey, I want you guys to meet my family, it's different than I want you to come into my house. When I'm, when I'm saying I want you to meet my family, I'm inviting you into my community, to my, to my family, and I want you to meet them. It's interpersonal. But when I invite them to a time and space, I'm inviting them to that there's, there's not really, you can come and not necessarily meet my family. And I think that this is an important thing that we wrestle with because a lot of times we must recognize that people a lot of times are first converted to the Christian community before they're converted to the Christian God. The scripture says it like this. They will know you are my disciples because of your love for one another. They get into the community. They see an authentic and a genuine love. And then it was just like, man, where do you get this? And we point them to the, to our God and we create that, that reality. So uh, we, we, we fight. We fight for that. So all of our missional communities, just to give you an example, and I'll, and I'll hit you. A lot of our missional communities, they talk about, okay, how do you guys gather? In our home, you know, we do what we call, we talk about corporate quiet time. So we do a thing called the breakfast club. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we gather together and we do quiet times together. What I mean by that is no one's preparing to teach. We go before God together and people in our missional community. And for people who can't go, we break down the scripture, and we're all studying the same scripture together. So any time we meet, we're, we're studying the same thing, and we come together, and what has God been teaching you? And we're, we're one-anothering everybody, you know, in creating that. And we, we, we share the burden of responsibility on everything, on, on each and every one of our members, instead of there's one person that's always responsible, the only one doing it. You see, the reality is, is that, you know, we adopted two kids and sociologists have now said, because we have to, we have to learn this stuff. Sociologists have said that the sibling relationship, the brother and sister, the sibling relationship is just as important, if not more important than the mother, father, child relationship in determining how the kid's going to turn out. 
You see, too many of us are running our churches like orphanages and not families. You see, the difference between an orphanage and a family is that we try to rally a group of people around a good cause, which is a good cause, but the problem is, is that you have a one or two caretakers trying to feed and serve a bunch of unnourished and underdeveloped kids. And that's how we run a lot of our churches. And then we've got one or two leaders, one or two pastors that's responsible for everybody. And we've avoided the very essence of what discipleship, of talking about how do we want another. And so we focus our groups together and says, how do we create smaller families within our, in our body? And so every, if you were to come to our church every single Sunday, the only announcement you're going to get is the one about missional communities. Talking about family. How do we connect you and family? So we have over 12 missional communities in our fam, in, in our going on. We're going to be starting two more missional communities. And really, and they, and they range anywhere between 10 to 40 people, adults. I'm talking about adults. And so we have, and, and we, we cluster around, and we call it missional communities, not small groups, because what we found is small groups are large enough to care, but they're not large enough to dare. And the problem is, is that anytime we want to be about mission, if one or two couples are out that week, then we don't have enough when we're a small group. But when you gather in 30 to 40 people on a consistent basis, when we go out and we're sharing and trying to be on mission together, there's always enough of a contingent, you know, to do it. And so this is why the bulk, all of our cookies are in that basket in terms of missional communities. Well, anybody that we invite is obviously by invitation only, you know. So, we no, we don't do any. We've never did any official background checks, but a lot of these people have been in the ministry. We've proven and tested their character, and we're, and we're creating, and we're looking at. We're not just inviting people off the street into our home, but it's as people come to know the Lord, we're saying, how do we help mature them in disciples? And that's a great segue into the next one. So the next point is a program that we call SIMS. Sims is a, basically it's a name called Saints in Motion. What we do with Sims is the reality is for every, every year we've been doing, my wife and I have doing this for 10 years. Every year we invite seven singles into our home. So we have, eight, we have eight of us, and we also now have seven singles into our home. For a three-week period, every morning and every night, we, we teach them Bible. We, we teach them gospel, family, mission. We teach them holistically, especially in the urban context, because it's important. We teach them how to manage money. Everybody leaves with knowing how to do their budget. Everyone knows how to, you know, conflict management. We teach them life skills. We have dinner together. We teach them chores, those types of things. And, you know, you think, like, well, why do you teach them that? Because in the urban context, they grew up in a lot of times without family, without a dad or a mom. And it's not a year that goes by that we sit down at the dinner table and someone says, I never had a dinner with my family. I don't even know what this is like. You know, and, but we're teaching them how to manage, and this is what we're saying, holistic. So we're not just transferring information, but we're saying, what is, how is this relevant into the everyday? How do we teach them life skills? You see, the reality is, is yeah, I could play it safe and say, man, I got to protect my family, but the reality is, the, I just see the ways that we've been doing is not working. And I'm saying that at some point, I got to risk something, you know. And, and so what's happened now, we've done it. Now, another pastor, he did it last year. Next year, we're going to have other pastors doing it. So we're going to have seven or eight pastors. So every year now, 
um, between leaders and pastors, we're going to be able to have 50 to 60 people going through this program. And people will talk about how do you create life on life is because, and this is like a mini master. You know, where they come in and they get a real quick understanding of this is what we're talking about. And every single time they leave that experience and they says, I haven't experienced Christianity in this way. And it just revolutionizes. I believe the reason why many of us are not experiencing the blessing of the gospel is because we're not really, we live a safe life, Christian life. Because we're too, we're too comfortable. And, 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 and we're just saying, like, how can we open it up so that people can do it? Because I wish I had someone that taught me. I was a guy on scholarship, football scholarship for four years, and I still graduated with over $30,000 worth of debt. Because no one taught me. I was taking up school loans. Oh, you giving me money? Free? Let's do it. You know, no one taught me. And I was just like, how can we create? And I've seen planters, pastors, people who are in debt. But because of my wife and things, we were able, because my wife was a disciplined structure, knew how to manage money well, we were able to, um, we were able to basically get out of 40000 worth of dollars worth of debt in the first three years of our lives our first three years of our marriage. And so we, we teach them these principles, crown financial, teach them a theology of understanding money and creating that. And so this is a three-week period every morning, 5.36 in the morning, every night. Every night they got to be at dinner. They always have to be chores. We do a thing called a money pot, and we put all of their money. So basically anything outside of your bills, you put into a money pot, and we teach them how they have to make decisions. Like you in marriage, it's not just your money. You got to learn how to wrestle with one another in terms of making decisions on your money. And we're teaching them life skills that they, that they do. And so this is the SIMS program that we have. The next one is Imprint. Imprint is a discipleship, another discipleship program that we're doing at the church. And, and basically, it's, a, it's actually in partnership with Southeastern, but it's a six-hour or ten-month, nine-month program where we go six hours a week, every Monday night from 7, 30, 7 to 9, every Wednesday morning from 5.30 to 7.30, and an additional two hours that they have to spend in a cohort with a group, you know, with a group from that thing. For 10 months, they dedicate six hours a week to do this, and they pay us $1,000 to do it. You see, the, one of the things that we, we talk about is that, especially, again, I'm, I'm from the urban context, and so I think we, are, we have robbed their people of a sense of dignity. And we think, they think it's a privilege that they can come along and co-labor with the gospel. But really, I mean, they think it's, but really it's a privilege for us that we get that opportunity, and how can we create it? So we're bringing top-level seminary professors in, and urban practitioners in, in to creating a seminary-level education in the local church. I've heard it over and over again that the local church, you know, is supposed to be the ones making disciples and leaders. And so it's like, man, how do we do that? How do we infiltrate and create that reality? And so we did last year. We had 32 students go through it last year. We had 32 students go through it last year. This year we plan to have over 50 students that are going through this discipleship program. And these are the same college students, the same people who say, I don't have enough time because, you know, all the, area, all the things that they're saying, no, I want to live my life for something greater. And again, so we're talking about, so life on life, baseline, MC, Sims, imprint. And then right here, so this is the thing that we basically have our church. And then we talk about what's the launching pad in terms of, again, raising up church planters. 
So from this, we have our interns. Our interns are basically people that we pull back the curtains. We allow them to see the, you know, how we do our elders meetings, how we lead the church, how, and we just pull back the curtains and allow them to see everything. Um, we, we talk about intersection versus addition. All of our interns both debrief our sermons, they, they're on the front end of our sermons because we're thinking intersection. How do we wed the two worlds together? Because I don't have a lot of extra time in my life, so I bring them into the world that I already in. And so now that teaches them how to be, become better um, st- studiers of their word. It teaches them so many different things. And we just pull back the curtains and allow our interns to go. And then it goes from our interns to our apprentices. And our apprentices are basically people people who are in a year, two years, they're ready to plant a church. And so they're getting to the point. So interns are people who say, I have a call to ministry, but I really don't know what, to, what I want to do. Apprentices, I'm ready to be, I'm ready in the next couple of years to plant a church. And so at this point, we now send them through what we call our elder training. And we prepare them to become elders. They become elders in our church and creating and then ultimately launching them as church planters. And so when people, every single member, every single individual says, understands that our goal, the only ministry that we have are discipleship environments that we are creating in order to make disciples. And how do we do that from life on life all the way ultimately to sending church plants? Because as we're planting and sending other churches, we want to see, just like we did, where we started not with just one or two planters, but it's a culture, that there's a culture of people that we're sending. So we just, we're planting the church in the West End. So what happened is 20 people moved to the West End to plant, to get ready to plant our next church. And that's another part of Atlanta. And then as we're going to different parts, what we're saying is that we want to get ready to parachute or get a group of people to go move into that context, all who are injected with the DNA of discipleship. And so when we talk about discipleship, we say two things. Discipleship is real easy. Discipleship is inviting people into relationship and challenging them to change. That's it. Inviting people into relationship and challenging them to change. So don't say that. So every single individual in our church, you can do, you can make disciples. How do you invite them into your into a relationship, an authentic relationship with you, and then challenge them to change? Where do we get that? Mark chapter 117, where Jesus says, um, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He invited them to follow him and then he challenged them to change. And so really our, the reality of what we're doing is how do we create an incubator? And so what we've done with Rebuild is saying, how do we take this and help other urban churches plant? Because the reality is that where we have people in New York, we have people in California, that a lot of times they only have one pastor. And how can you do all this with one pastor? And so we're saying, how can we create these programs and things so that it's, it creates and raise, help raising up leaders to develop a culture of discipleship? You see, I grew up in the Campus Crusade model of discipleship. But then I started wrestling. I was like, if the church is God's ordained method to raising up people, then we have to see what does it look like for the church to raise up these Christians? There's an old African proverb that says that it takes a family to raise a, um, it takes a, a village to raise a child. And so what we say in our church is that it takes a church to raise a Christian and that everyone needs to play their part 
They need to play their part in building up healthy, mature disciples for the ultimate goal of seeing more healthy churches planted. Because the reality is this, you can plant more churches and not necessarily make disciples, but you can't make disciples and not plant churches. And so, and we say that a healthy disciple is people who are growing in their understanding of the gospel, more dependent upon the person and work of Jesus in the context of family, that he's given us a local church, a local environment to do it while being on mission. And everything, everything we do comes to that end. And then what ends up happening? We're, we're, we're ministering to the homeless. We, we have people going out doing human sex trafficking. We have a lot of, we do a lot of things that are engaged in the city of Atlanta. Now, Blueprint Church, we don't have any ministries going towards that end, but we have members that are doing that. Our focus is to make up healthy leaders and get them on mission. And then once you do that, you're going to see the gospel planted and praying that God would bring forth fruit from it. And it's our responsibility as churches to make, to recapture discipleship in our local churches and not looking for a savior or another person from without to come, the stud from without to come. But what are we doing within our own church context to create it? And it may take you and I being uncomfortable, God forcing us out of our comfort in order to do that. Questions or comments about any of this? Yeah, I mean, like I said, we over, we talk about boundaries, we talk about spiritual distance, we, we just talk about it. Um, and so in that, a lot of times, especially we have people in a home, we usually have multiple people living in our homes, and it's very rarely that that takes place in, in creating. But again, by God's grace, over the 10 years that we've done it, and hundreds of people have lived in other, in other people's homes, not one time, not one time have we had to deal with immorality in that way while people living in. And I just think that we, we can, I can give you a lot of reasons why we shouldn't do it. And I'll be the first one to say, I can give you thousands of reasons why you shouldn't do this. But I'm just saying, this, I, you know, the principle is not having people live in your home. The principle is how do you get people to get life together? And so however you want to flesh that out, you can flesh it out. But the thing is, Jesus is with them. And we need to get life on life with people. And we can't think that the, the once a, one hour a week Starbucks meeting is going to do anything. You know, and that's all I'm saying is, is that, again, I'm not, pr- 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 that's why I didn't put live in your house. That's not a principle that we teach. We say life on life. Intersection, not addition. How do we intersect? So we talk about, we teach our, our people, and that's, like even in our missional communities, how do we think intersection? So that's why we do corporate choir times. That's why we do, because everybody don't have the type of house that they can have multiple people live, you know, with them. And so we create other different things, and we say when you, Grocery shop and do it. Like, how are you being intentional? You know, one of the things that we say, we say we need to recapture how to use the house as a weapon for the gospel. Because that in the Old Testament, the, one of the worst things are in the, in the scriptures, the worst thing was to close the door to people. That's like the worst rebuke that you can do. But for some reason, because, in, you know, as an American culture, now what we do is that we create, you know, the home is now the safe haven for us. You know, but we, we have to recapture the gift of hospitality. And, you know, what does that mean to create space and to welcome? And so we live next door to an atheist. We live, live next door to an atheist. I mean, she doesn't homeschool. She unschools. I don't know if you guys ever heard of unschooling. I never heard of it until her. 
I mean, walks around barefoot. Just take that image and just like, yes, that's her, right? But one of the things that we've done is that we've invited her into our home. They always constantly see people in our home. We, we begin to engage. And what's interesting is that one day we went over to um, her house, and, uh, you know, she has like the big X, no, don't proselytize Christian. And so my daughter was talking to him and was just like, Mommy, mommy, dad. I mean, so she asked, so she asked um, Beth. She says, Miss Beth, I see that thing on your door. Does that mean you don't like us? Right? And, and Miss Beth began, she was a, yeah, life of life. Yeah. She says, does that mean you don't like us? Because re- the reason why we're not moving again is because of this family. We've been praying for their salvation. And, we, and so we do. We get life on life with them. We talk. So now we have our kids reading apologetic books, like, you know, infant on how to reach them. You know, the other thing that we do is so we can't, she, 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 she's like, no, no, not, yeah, I like you. She started backpedaling, right? So what happened was we went back about a month later. A month later, the sign's still on the door. She hasn't come to know the Lord. The sign's still on the door, and it says, X, do not proselytize me. But then it says, except if you're the nice neighbors next door. <laughs> right? And so that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a win. That's a step. You see, and the reality of what we're saying is, is that we are using all of our family. It's not daddy's going out and doing ministry. It's our whole neighborhood. It's our whole family. And it's one unit doing it. If I were to tell you, man, if I were to say to you, I'm, I'm always about, you know, quiet times and just me personally, and I never shared my faith, I never did anything external, would you think I was a healthy Christian? No. Well, why do we think if we are just ministering to our family that we think that we're healthy? When the family is one. No, our philosophy is that we become a healthy one for the purpose of mission. And we get our people to be on mission. And so another thing that we do as a family that we create, because our family, our kids see Sam's as the biggest time. People just left our house. They see it because they're a part of ministering. We teach them how to engage in healthy conversation. We teach them these things. So even at school, we go to public school. Even at our school, we send them to school. And if a new kid comes to our campus or comes to school, our kids already know new kids come into the school. They go back and tell mommy. Mommy then sends an email to the teacher. The teacher, we say, hey, we, we want to welcome the new family into the, into the school. The teacher then give, can we have their email, gives, them their, gives us their email. My wife emails them, and then now the next thing I know, we're having dinner with that family in our home. We know what it's like to be new in an area. We would love to invite you over. And see, what that's doing is we're making the family. that we're, we're, It's not just me, but it's the family, and our kids are seeing that they can live for something greater than themselves. And they're a part of the gospel. And I'm just saying that we need to start thinking integration, not addition. And how do we integrate those things? We're going to eat dinner. They're going to meet kids. And we've met, and a lot of people in our church are now in our church because of just that simple thing. And our kids going, is like, man, I was a part of bringing you in. I was a part of you coming to know the Lord. And we celebrate that. So it's just the reality. But again, it's when you develop a culture of discipleship. Now, I could spend a lot of time, and what we're saying, this is the family. We could spend a lot of time going to ministry team meetings and board meetings and doing all that. But as a church, we've just said, listen, your family, cultivate your family as that. So we do, like, a lot of our outreach is what we do. We say for... um, for outreach, Halloween, that's the one day of the week where the whole neighborhood is coming to your front doorstep. But what do we do as Christians? We turn the lights off. Oh, it's wicked. You know, they just want candy, right? So instead, we throw a block party. 
And instead of, and so we have each one of our missional communities throw block parties in their area, grill hot dogs, grill burgers, whatever. And now they're coming and now we're getting to engage. And so, and then we tell them, and we always debrief, we says, the goal wasn't you just coming to a block party. The goal was next year, hopefully you do a block party in your neighborhood. And so with the intersection versus addition, and everything we're doing is about how do we raise up people to be on mission, unleashing healthy people to be on mission, because as we plant the gospel, we're going to see more churches planted. We spend more, too much time and money and energy trying to figure out how we're going to get the next church plan, how we're going to get the next church plan, or when we just have a natural thing, and that church planters are coming from the ranks because they understand about growing in the gospel, in the context of family, while being on mission. And every single member, if you're going to be a part of our church, we tell you, if, you don't, if you're not about this, you probably don't want to be here at Blueprint. And it creates a discipleship culture for everyone. Yeah. So as pastors, I mean, one of the things that we're full-time, we get paid to do ministry. And a lot of times, I, I remember sitting, and I was, I was a DTS student, I, was, I went to Dallas Theological Seminary. And as a DTS student, I remember sitting there, and it's like, man, Lord, how do we make church about God and your people? Because it seems like it was about programs. It seems like I was preparing for a program, making sure the program went off when the program went, then debriefing the program, and then preparing for the next program. And it was just like that's what I felt like we was constantly doing that. And I was just like, how do we do that? And so what we've, we've developed was a culture of saying as full time, we have the most time to go to their jobs. So we go to our jobs. So we'll go to our teacher's. It says, hey, do you think your, your professor or your, your, your principal would mind us spending a couple of hours? Just, we just want to be a fly on the wall. We don't want to teach. We don't want to do anything. We just want to be a fly on the wall. And then after that, can we get, a, get lunch with you during your lunch break? And so we get there. We just simply observe for a couple of hours. And then we go out, and then we have lunch with them. And then we, says, you know, and then we talk about, well, how can you be more impactful about implementing the gospel in this environment? How do you create? And so we begin to wrestle through with them on their context because they, have, they spend 40 plus hours a week there. And as Christians, we can become as creative as, hey, we start Bible studies on jobs. And I was just like, we need to be more creative than that. We're reproducing church on job where I prepare a message and then I come and I teach you. And I'm saying there's so many different ways that we can come alongside. So what we've done before is says, hey, as a church, what we're going to do is we're going to buy you a pizza party, like get you a pizza party. Like, because, you know, if they can't afford it, we'll pay for it. You get the pizza party. And it's not from our church. It's from you. And then people are like, why are you being so nice? And then you're building relationships, you know, and just thinking through how do you build relationships with people? You know, because that's what it's about, inviting people into relationship and challenging them to change and being able to, prop, you know, preach the gospel to people. And, and so, People, you think that, you know, these are easy concepts, but it takes intentionality in order for us to do it. And we got to train and make disciples in order to do that. And so, again, that's the reality of how we have created more church planners. And so now we have about 10 interns that in the next couple of years, they're going to be planting churches. And we're just creating this incubator system where they're going up and they're ultimately going to be making disciples. And at each level... We're doing it. And then not only that, we're sending a group of people with them. So, it's, so they have a culture. They have a family. And so our mission, our strategy for Atlanta is where the 12 missional communities are, our prayer is that each one becomes its own church. And, how do, and we, we say, people ask, well, where's the next church plant? It's according to where God blesses. 
you and your community doing gospel ministry in your area. And if he blesses there, that's our next church plan. And so that's where that's how we that's how we go about doing it.